Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. The scripture reading for today comes from the book of Acts, the second chapter, verses 1 through 21. Hear the word of God. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages, as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each, Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No. This is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from Paul's letter to the Christians in Philippi, beginning with chapter 2, verse 1. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility Regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself 
and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. May God bless this reading to our understanding. Grace and peace to you in the name of our still speaking God, who loves us just the way we are and calls us to become more than we can imagine. I want to thank Rick for the opportunity to share in the ministry of God's word and to be part of this timely series, Green Faith Rising, Living Hope in a Time of Climate Change. Rick and I have known each other for over 40 years in various settings. I have unlimited admiration for what Rick has done throughout his career, and I hardly need to tell you how fortunate you are to have him as your interim minister, perhaps especially amidst the chaos and uncertainty of this pandemic. I also want to thank you for the many ways you witness as a congregation by caring for the least of these among us. Last November, I had an opportunity to teach a week at Ghost Ranch, and I was reminded of the many ways Presbyterians show their commitment to social justice. You can be confident that the United Church of Christ stands with you in all of these commitments. One last thing, I was born in Detroit. For that reason, and knowing that I would be with you this morning, I've paid special attention to the toll this pandemic is taking on the people of Detroit, especially those in nursing homes, people of color and the poor. And not just the pandemic, but the torrential rainstorms, dam failures and floods Michiganders have endured over the past two weeks. Like many of you, every day I have lifted your courageous governor in prayer. And with you, I give thanks for all the heroes among us, the healthcare workers, along with all the essential workers and first responders who continue to put themselves at risk for the sake of healing, caring for, feeding, and giving hope to the world that will one day be released. Now let us be in a spirit of prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I need to briefly set the stage for today's celebration of Pentecost. From the disciples' point of view, it's been 50 days since Jesus was crucified. For these many weeks, not only have the disciples been grieving the death of their friend, their lives have been turned on end. Although Jesus had appeared to them several times over these 50 days, the promise, the reality of the resurrection made no sense. The sensible thing was to return to their normal lives, to return to what they had been doing before they heard Jesus' voice say, come, follow me. Nevertheless, they couldn't erase some of the things Jesus had told them. 
they couldn't forget that he told them to make disciples of all nations. They pondered his instruction, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And they were haunted by Jesus' assurance that they would do even greater acts than he. The 50 days following Jesus' crucifixion became for the disciples a time of reckoning. I imagine the questions that preoccupied the disciples during these seven weeks were these. Could they set aside the temptation to return to business as usual? Could they step out of their role as followers so that they could become leaders of the greatest mass movement the world had ever seen? Could they muster the courage and resolve required to transform the world? These are our questions too, because our generation is now facing another time of reckoning. And let me lift up just a few of the lessons we are learning. We're learning that humanity can come together and unite to address monumental changes more quickly than we had ever imagined. We're learning about injustice, colonialist, economic, and racial inequality. These injustices are being amplified and accelerated by this pandemic. In the morgues of New York, Boston, Chicago, Detroit, New Orleans, Los Angeles, as many as 40% of the bodies are black and brown. We're learning what people of color have always known. When a crisis strikes, they are the ones most likely to lose their jobs, their health, and their lives. We're learning that global crises demand that leaders subscribe to a common acceptance of science and facts, and that millions of lives depend on it. We're learning the importance of solidarity. Even though some will not acknowledge, we are all in this together. We're learning that leadership has life and death consequences. And we're learning that it's okay to be overwhelmed by grief over the loss of loved ones and friends and for the world that is now gone. This is what it feels like to be at a turning point, a Kairos moment, a time of reckoning. And whatever your faith perspective, I think you'll learn something from how the disciples faced their time of reckoning. Like them, we must set aside the temptation to return to business as usual. Like them, we must step out of our role as followers and accept God's call to become leaders. And like them, we must muster the courage and resolve required to transform the world. Following the disciples' guidance will get us out of this current crisis, but we must do one thing more. We must follow this same guidance 
to get us out of the climate crisis. Here's what I mean. I'll simply focus on not returning to business as usual. We've seen thousands of heroic health professionals set aside their specialty in order to focus on the present emergency. Can each one of us do likewise? Can each of us accept that we are the generation that it falls to to make the changes scientists say we must and technology says we can? Can each of us summon our expertise, our connections, our influence, and all our God-given gifts to make our politicians address climate change with the urgency it demands? We've seen our politicians come together and pass several bills worth trillions of dollars to save the economy. Beginning today, can each of us commit at least a few minutes each day to tell our elected leaders to update and pass the Green New Deal to save life on this planet? We've seen how black and brown Americans are bearing the brunt as this virus spreads. Can each one of us support the Reverend Dr. William Barber and the Poor People's Campaign to address the systemic crucifixions now taking place? Can we mark our calendars and join Reverend Barber and millions of others, not in person, but digitally on June 20th for the Poor People's Assembly and March on Washington? Since 2013, when the United Church of Christ became the first religious body in America to divest from fossil fuel corporations, we've seen institutions and individuals with investments worth over $14 trillion purge their portfolios of fossil fuel stocks. Can each one of us who has investments dump any fossil fuel stock we may own and tell others that you have done so? And if you have a charge account with Chase or Wells Fargo, could you join thousands of others on social media and cut your credit cards in half? Chase and Wells Fargo lead the list of fossil fuel funders. And finally, can each of us add our voice to the tens of millions of others who now recognize the urgent need for a public health care system that provides universal health care for all? On the day of Pentecost, the disciples, together with people from all over the earth, they all heard the sound of the Holy Spirit, the breath of God calling them to prophesy, to see visions, to dream dreams. Suddenly it became clear to the disciples that Jesus' crucifixion was not the final chapter. The time of reckoning was over and God was calling them to write a new story. Not only would they abandon business as usual, they would also become leaders 
with the courage and resolve required to turn the world upside down. And one thing more, the disciples would accept this calling guided by the same profound humility that Jesus had shown throughout his life. As Paul tells us in his letter to the Christians in Philippi in chapter 2, Jesus manifests leadership by pouring himself out for others. He demonstrated his power by showing restraint. His wisdom became evident through his questions. His strength was palpable in his weakness. He celebrated freedom through obedience to truth. And although he was God, he told his followers that they would do even greater acts than he. In the same way God is calling you and me, God is calling our generation to write a new story. The story we've been writing for the past seven generations or so is the story of the Anthropocene. In the story of the Anthropocene, humanity builds the modern world by extracting and burning the coal, oil, and gas that nature took 150 million years to create. We called it progress and measured it in terms of GDP, gross domestic product. As early as 1965, President Johnson was warned that this path could have catastrophic effects on all of life. In the late 1970s and early 80s, Exxon and the other fossil fuel companies paid millions of dollars for secret studies that told their boards of directors pretty much everything we now know about climate change. They buried those studies and then invested hundreds of millions of dollars in media campaigns to deny the science of climate change. They even used the same fake scientists used by the cigarette companies to deny that smoking caused cancer. The impact of this has been to decreate the planet. The cost of ignoring and denying the science has been the sixth great extinction. For example, today there are only 40% as many animals on the planet as there were only 50 years ago. The story of the Anthropocene confirms that the impact of humanity on God's creation is very, very big. And that in a very brief period of time, only a few hundred years at most, humanity has had an almost incalculable impact on life as we know it. And as my friend Gus Speth is famously quoted, all of this has been driven by selfishness, greed, and pride. Perhaps the pandemic is proving us is providing us with an opportunity to become more humble. Very recent polls indicate that since the pandemic began, more Americans than ever accept that climate change is happening and that it is caused by human action. 
following these new polls also tell us that only 9% of Americans regard climate change as a religious issue. So, as people of faith, like the disciples, it's time for us to provide leadership as we manifest the courage and resolve required to transform the world. Let us join with others to hear God calling our generation to reorient what we prize. Inspired by the first disciples and the early church in the weeks and months ahead, let us focus on sharing in place of hoarding, resilience in place of fear, cooperation in place of competition, interdependence in place of rugged individualism, and spiritual and moral growth in place of material growth. An exhausted world must wait for a coronavirus vaccine before the fullness of life can be restored. But when it comes to the climate crisis, we already have a vaccine. Over the past decade or so, engineers have dropped the price of solar panels and wind turbines by over 90%. To restore God's great gift of creation, all we have to do is to deploy the solutions we already have. The universality of this pandemic, it grows every day, and it is allowing people of every faith persuasion to unite in a common purpose. God is calling us to make sure that the current pandemic becomes a portal, a gateway to a new, more just world. A world in which people of every faith persuasion unite to expand the golden rule so that people recognize others half a world away as well as unborn generations as our neighbors. Now is the time for us to decide what we will bring with us through that portal. Let us leave behind gaping economic inequality, blatant racial inequity, rampant ecological destruction, ruinous extractive profiteering, and pervasive political corruption, all of which have been amplified by this pandemic. And believing that another, more just world is possible, let us bring with us through that portal a commitment to the unifying power of shared vulnerability, the expansive fullness of interdependence, the contagious generosity of caring for the least of these among us, and our universal calling to protect God's great gift of creation. And let the people say, Amen. Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill us with your love. 
Open our eyes to see the presence of God all around us in the stillness of this sacred space, in the busyness and noise of our city streets, in the joys and celebrations of our lives, in the tragedies and struggles that break our hearts. Come, Holy Spirit, and comfort those who grieve. Grant them the peace that only you can bring. Stir with, within us a trust in life beyond death as we ponder the mysteries of Christ's resurrection and the hope we have in new and everlasting life. Come, Holy Spirit, and bring wholeness to the sick. Strengthen those who are weak. Heal the wounded and broken. Give rest to the weary. Come, Holy Spirit, and inspire our warring world to seek peace, to love our enemies, to put away our weapons, to remember the price paid for our freedom to care for those who have served. Come, Holy Spirit, and ignite a fire in our bones, a passion for justice that cannot be quenched until all your children are loved until no one is marginalized or oppressed, until everyone has the opportunity to thrive, until the world is transformed and renewed. Come Holy Spirit and revive your church. Liberate us from complacency and apathy. Inspire us with Christ's vision for a world reborn. Help us to recognize our gifts for ministry and to use them in service of others. Transform our hearts and minds. Fill us with love that overflows. Remind us that there is no greater calling than to love you with all we are and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Gracious God, give us a glimpse of your kingdom emerging around us and drawing us into new things that you are doing in the world. It is for your kingdom that we now pray, filled with your spirit, using the words Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.